radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Is that Jesus can return at any time. He's not waiting for a Japanese nuclear power plant to melt down. No. He, he, the thing that's holding him back is his patience and love for lost humanity and nothing else. Uh, there, 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 there are no events that need to occur before Jesus comes back. And so seeing all the things that happen around us and saying, hey, hey, that means Jesus is coming. The answer is no, no. That's wrong. That's a wrong way of looking at it. Jesus can come at any moment. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. And Luther says the only way that uh, the pronoun me and God could be in the same sentence is by this verb, have mercy. I've got. I've given myself the new nickname. I've thrown aside all the other accolades that you toss at me so freely, Evan. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, they 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 feel like wine. Rider. Yeah, and uh, what else am I? I can't remember. I can't remember them, them all either. A- They're just too <laughs> numerous. <laughs> Taking a hiatus of radio excellence. This is Table Talk Radio, and. Uh, that Back means we, we're starting recording? That's what it means to take a ti- hiatus? Yeah, and then in about oh, 48 minutes, we'll be back into excellence. Don't worry, we're silence. almost there. Excellence, <laughs> also known as silence. The countdown begins. <laughs> so tell us about Taiwan. That's pretty uh, pretty cool. you got to go over there. Oh, man, it was fantastic. It was just absolutely fantastic. I got to talk at the uh, China Evangelical Lutheran Seminary about American Christianity, which is ironic, but apparently... Even Taiwanese Christianity is even more American than American Christianity. It's making its way into the Lutheran Church there, and the distinction is not real clear about what you know makes a person theologically a Lutheran. So that was a good thing. And then they're wrestling with this question of gay marriage in Taiwan, and um, so we got to talk about that too, and the three estates and how helpful that is, and thinking about political to cultural things. And then. Uh, All the Asia missionaries of the Missouri Synod, uh, 25, 30 of them or so, um, got together with their families for a retreat, and I got to go and teach them with doxology. So me and Dr. Yonke were there to teach, and so we did a a session on suffering, uh, the conscience, um, what else did we talk about? Spiritual warfare, meditation and prayer, loneliness, uh, vocation and Christian identity, all from 1 Peter. So we had an extended, long Bible study with the guys uh, and uh, their wives and, and all the missionaries, and that was just, it was the best. Nice. Well, good. I'm glad, I'm glad you went, and, and um, sounds like a great experience. Uh, what, is there a highlight of the trip? It was trip? snowing is there, is like there... a ten, 10 inches, I think, of snow here in Colorado, and Hannah and I were body surfing in the in the waves in the, in the, yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. South China Sea. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is there a big takeaway, uh, something that will stick out in your mind? Mm, um, mm. Nope. It was good. You know, it's always good. I think, I mean, there's a lot. The whole trip was a highlight, um, highlight reel. So, but I, it, I think one of the, I mean, so so to be able to see Hannah seeing all those things and to be there with her, that might, you know, Hannah came with me. That was really great. Uh, to meet the missionaries was really, was really good. That's, I think, always good. It, it's I'm always um, particularly impressed to go to worship with the Christians on the other side of the world, other places, and uh-huh. to go and, conf- you know, to rejoice in the Lord's Supper and the Lord's kindness all together. 
Uh, so this kind of this picture of the church spread throughout the world, that's that's always one of the great things for me. And so to to be you know to go we went to to church um, with a on Sunday morning at a Taiwanese Lutheran church meets in the basement of an apartment building in um, in Taipei met, got to meet with the president of the Lutheran Church of Taiwan uh, for lunch on Sunday then got to go to another little mission church that's um, kind of on, on the um, outskirts of Sinju on Sunday night and worship with the people that were there and that's the best I mean that's really wonderful. Yeah, I love that. That's that's fantastic. That's great. Well, let's let's dive into our show. We start with buzzwords. You have a buzzword, Pastor Wolfmiller? I do. Uh, I got six buzzwords. Um, so uh, we'll just start with this one. Inspired. Okay. This is the first of the six attributes of the Holy Scripture, and it comes from um, most explicitly from Paul's writing to Timothy, First uh, or Second Timothy three sixteen. Why I can never remember if it's the first or second. All Scripture is inspired by God uh, and useful for teaching, uh, rebuking, correcting, and training up in righteousness that the man of God might be uh, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, At least that's how I remember it. And that inspired or breathed, it's one word in the Greek, uh, theopanoimatos, so God-spirited or God-breathed, exhaled by God, and that that attribute of the first of the six attributes of the scripture is our kind of primary understanding of the scriptures. So this will come up later when we start playing our game. Uh, but that's inspired. That's your buzzword. And it's also from Second Timothy. So might want to log that away. Second Timothy. I never. So I think Second Timothy. Then I think no, no. I remember it wrong. It's first, you know. And then I can never remember it right. That's Second right. Timothy. I'll try to see if I can stick it. Well, uh, my theological buzz phrase for you comes from a email that was sent to the wrong email address, but it says, because um, it was obviously intended for another show, but it says, uh, Lex Orendi, Lex Credendi. Could you please speak on the subject, Lex Orendi, Lex Credendi? Thank you, and a truly amazing show. Signed, Paul. So, um, (laughs) obviously that was going to another show, but we'll we'll take it. Right. Um, so this this phrase, (laughs) Lex Arendi, Lex Credendi, um, this is a Latin phrase and literally it means something like, uh, the, the law of belief or the law of prayer and the law of belief. And we we typically take it to be something like, um, that the, the the things that you believe form the the way that you worship or the way that you pray, and the opposite is also true. The way that you pray and worship kind of forms the way that you believe. Um, this was first, I think, as far as I know, uh, attributed to um, Pro, uh, uh, Prosper uh, Aquitaine, who was a disciple of uh, Augustine, Whoa, I believe. Just... Just from the top of your yeah from yeah your memory I mean, just, you just, just from the from the top of my Wikipedia I uh, I remember this <laughs> and uh, that's funny but this is what he says are you ready this this is um, Aquitaine he says um, let us consider the sacraments Aquitaine of- sounds like a toothpaste <laughs> have you brushed with proper of saying. Aquitaine. Let us consider the sacraments of priestly prayers, which have been handed down by the apostles, are celebrated uniformity throughout the whole world and in every Catholic church so that the law of praying might establish the law of believing. 
So apparently from that quote, this is where Lex Orindi, Lex Orindi comes from. At least that's what we think. Um, so, Anu, do you have any thoughts on this on this phrase for, for Paul, to enlighten Paul a little bit? I have a lot of thoughts on it. I'm trying to figure out which ones are actually godly and important. Um, <laughs> I, I, maybe this to start is that um, you can tell a lot about a person about which way they put the direction. So a lot of people, from that quote, you know, the, the Lex Arende informs the Lex Credendi. So if you shape the liturgy, you're shaping belief. That's true. Um, then you get a lot of people who are kind of your, um, I don't know, the old Lutheran uh, guys would go the other way. They say, Lex Credendi, Lex Arende, what, how you believe ought to shape your prayers, mm. uh, ought to shape your liturgy. And then you get people who, who kind of stand against it. You know, this is... Um, we, the big push for the church growth stuff was the um, evangelical style Lutheran substance, and that's a separation of the Lex Arendi, Lex Credendi. It says, no, they, in fact, are not related to each other. Uh, you can practice one way and believe another. Um, I, I think the whole thing is particularly interesting, uh, and I think it's and I think we ought to be, um, if, if we could put them in a circle, so always to recognize that the way that we pray and especially what we confess in the liturgy, does it shapes our minds, our consciences, and our doctrine. It, sh- you know, it sharpens our con- our confession. Uh, the Flammy the other day um, had something nice. He's uh, at the beginning of his sermon. He says we're going to consider the scripture in order to inform our confession and sharpen our prayers. Now that was a kind of a nice way to talk about the lex orendi lex credendi, that that they they are bound up together. And also so that the way that we pray and confess in the liturgy shapes our doctrine, but then our doctrine also shapes the way that we the way that we pray and the way that the liturgy goes. So when, for example, in the Reformation, Luther comes clear on the gospel, there's going to be changes in the liturgy, and there were changes in the in the liturgy in order to clarify the church's confession. So um, so they go back and forth, and if you see someone leaning really on one direction or another or trying to separate the two, you can kind of get at their what's going on in their in their theology. Yeah, I, I, I just thought of something as you were talking there that, uh, you know, the evangelical style Lutheran substance kind of a thing. Um, oftentimes uh, people have looked at that and say, no, because of Alexa and Alexa Dindy, you must be like a, a closet evangelical. I mean, that the core of your theology is in fact not Lutheran because you worship like an evangelical. And I, I don't know that that's quite true. However, I do think that what has captured the heart and center of of um, of such churches is what we refer to in our How Big of a Missionalist Are You game is sola missio, so that the only and most important thing is reaching the lost. But we have to understand that what are you going to reach the lost with? <laughs> and if it's not the central message of the, of, of the gospel of justification, then we have nothing to offer them when we actually get there, uh, get to the lost. And so I think that, um, that if we center ourselves on justification, then that's going to change a lot about the way we interact with this God who comes to us in word and sacrament. That's right. And we're going to take a break and play a new game on Table Talk Radio right after this.
Table Talk Radio. You're laughing too, right? I'm reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal every week. You can find it at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on the Luther Sermon Podcast. Welcome back to Table Talk hey, I, Radio. I like the bumps today. Oh. I mean, I always like the bumps, but they're kind of, they're different. You got new bumps. Actually, uh, this is a recycled playlist from a previous show. Shh, don't tell anyone. Hey, you know how Look. we are trying to get by on minimal work at all times? Yeah. Well, yeah. we have this, uh, this, this image on our homepage, which you made, I think, three years ago. Um, it still says, trust not in princes, and it has all these people who nobody remembers anymore, like Barry Sanders and Ted Cruz. Oh, and, yeah. Um, Outdated. Who's, who's this woman? Oh, uh, uh, Hillary something. Anyway, um, and so we need a new image on our homepage, and we want to invite you uh, to in, to make a new image. And by you, I mean the listener, not Pastor Wolf Miller. We want to invite you to make a new image for us, and if uh, we select your image, it'll be featured on our homepage at tabletalkradio.org. Now, Pastor Wolf Miller, give them the uh, parameters, the criteria for this image. Uh huh. The standards are low. <laughs> the bar is on the floor. Is there? I is, mean, basically, if someone sends an image, it's going to go up. There. <laughs> what What's the prize if someone's image is selected for our homepage? I don't know. We 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 should try to figure out one of those rotating banner image sort of things. So if there's two, we could just put two or three or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Do we want it to be a Mimi? I don't know. Those are those are overdone. That's... What? You don't even know overdone, Mimi. You're not even on the Facebook. Publicly. I'm sick of them, and I'm not even on Facebook. I that's I know. That's what I'm saying. So, uh, so for I, those I who are on Facebook, should be super sick of them. But I guess yeah. it takes a. There's a certain personality of people Look who at are this. on Facebook. Thirty-four who, who people want get... to join. I'm, I'm going over to our little Table Talk Radio group to announce the Mimi competition. Mimi competition. Oh no, the anti-Mimi competition. Okay, Mimi, anti, Mimi, <laughs> competition. If you make a picture, I'm. This is. I'm just, just. You know, this is all happening live here. If you make a picture, we'll put it on our homepage. Maybe. We will. Oh, we got a little discretion. I mean, what if what if they deface our faces? I don't think I could tolerate that kind of humiliation. You know, Maybe. Be, because the three people who visit our website would see it. <laughs> okay, the competition is now, it's now live. All right. On the Facebook. Okay. Now, I was thinking about this Lex Arendi, Lex Credendi for a long time over the break. And um, and I, what do you think about this idea? That this idea, Lex Arendi, Lex Credendi, how you pray informs how you believe, we might call that the Catholic principle. And the other idea, Lex Credendi, Lex Arendi, how you believe informs how you pray. We might call that the evangelical principle. So we want to put them both, in fact, together. We wanna, I think we want to recognize that they're working together. Hmm. Um, <laughs> what do you think about that idea? I need to ponder that. Maybe during the next break. I'll <laughs> you know, because the breaks are so long. Right. All right. Well, uh, we have a new game. This game is called... Which attribute of the scripture is this denying? Uh, yeah, here it is. Which attribute of the scripture is this denying? <laughs> Good. <laughs> for me to repeat myself is not wearisome, and for you it's beneficial. That's what Peter says. 
<laughs> well, I just found my sticky note. Uh, okay, uh, so so the way this works, you, we're gonna have to do a rundown of the attributes of scripture, but then we'll we'll uh, what read something, talk about something, and figure out which attribute of the scripture is this denying. So yes, so, uh, so. let's see. You gave us one. The one was inspiration. That thing is yep. things are uh, breathed out by God. The scriptures yep. are. That's a buzzword. Um, I'm going to give you a five points. Um, I you, said Lex Arendi, Lex Credendi like 50 times. You did? I guess it doesn't talk. It doesn't count when we're actually talking about the buzzword. <laughs> yeah, you got to get out of the subject so you can actually okay. use it. Now, you have, you have passage. I never look back, man. I never look back. <laughs> you have a passage I like to use in talking about um, uh, inspiration. Inspiration. I find it here. Uh, but it's it's first, a it's the passage, um, perhaps. So we'll play a little Bible <laughs> B real quick. I'll I'll paraphrase the Bible passage and you tell me what it is. <laughs> uh, but where where uh, Paul says um, that that what you re- you received not words from us, but what they actually are. Maybe it's not even Paul. Uh, that that uh, you receive our words, but not words of men, but what it actually is, the word of God. Does that sound familiar? Oh, so it sounds a little bit familiar. All right, so f- I'm on I it. Know it? I'm on it. Yeah. Um, well, give us some other attributes of scripture while I'm looking. At second, it. so out flowing out of inspiration are the two attributes, the kind of twin attributes of in, inerrancy and infallibility. Now these are negative attributes, which is helpful. Uh, and inerrancy means without error, and infallibility means unable to err. Um, so one talks about the content and the other talks about the source. So inerrancy, and it's important to have them both. Inerrancy means that the words of the scriptures contain no errors in them. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it has to do with the content. Infallibility has to do with the speaker. It says that because God is the author of scripture, the one who breathed out the scripture, it cannot err. God cannot lie. So um, the human things can be inerrant. Like I could give you a, a weather report and it can be right, inerrant, but without error. But human words can never be infallible. Uh, I could have gotten it wrong. Always it's possible that it would say something wrong. So, um, uh, so the scripture, uh, while in, inerrancy is a, a, a thing that, that the scriptures can share with human works, infallibility is not because it has to do with the source of um of the words themselves. See the difference? I do, indeed. Now, uh when you get to um another attribute, I'll have the Bible verse that I was thinking of before. So keep going. Okay. So we'll make this point though that inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility are attributes that we recognize like together with our evangelical friends. They would also um, recognize those sorts of things. But when we move on to the next three, we really start hitting pay dirt because these are um uh, the attributes where um, where kind of the confessional churches uh, stand out, and especially the Lutheran Church. I think it, there's an argument to be made that these uh, attributes, in fact, are unique to the Lutheran Church. Even though other churches might claim them, uh, they would then end up denying them in one way or another. But anyway, here they are. They are the clarity of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, and the efficacy of Scripture. So the clarity of the scripture is to say that the Bible um, speaks in a clear way. The clarity of scripture does not mean that every passage is immediately obvious what it's saying, but it is saying that 
in regards to um, faith and morals, to life and doctrine, um, to the things that are needed for salvation, the Bible speaks clearly. Uh, and doctrine and teaching can be established from the Scriptures and from the Scriptures alone. So this is the attribute we would lean on if we have a uh, maybe a disagreement on interpretation to get out the grammar book and figure out how nouns and verbs work. Because when God revealed himself to us, he did so in a human language, which engages the rules of grammar and human reason. So, right. That God's, right. God's communicating to us in a communicable way, not in some kind of a secret code. And unless you have the, the secret key, it can't be unlocked. That's right. We also say the clarity of Scripture also has to do with this, that even someone without faith can understand what the Bible says. They just can't, in fact, see it as wisdom and believe it. So that the unbeliever can read the Bible and, and in fact, come to an orthodox understanding of the Scripture, uh, even though it doesn't save them because they don't have faith. They, don't, they, don't, they can understand the promises, but they just don't believe the promises. See? So the and the scriptures that are used to support the clarity of scripture would be like the the great um, Psalm one nineteen, one five. Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. So the the illuminating um, nature uh, and quality of the scriptures is the clarity. So and then we have oh yeah, go I was going to say so the clarity of scripture is oftentimes denied whenever someone comes along and says, well, you know, you you say this about that verse, I say that. So, you know, it's not real clear. Let's let's just agree to disagree. And uh, and the clarity of Scripture says, no, um, there's actually I mean, God's word is revealing something uh, to us to be confessed and to just cop out and say, well, it's not clear. So let's just agree to disagree is denying the clarity of Scripture. Right. Okay. Yep. That's it. Uh, and that's where we see that mostly, you know, people say, oh, that's just your opinion. Well, that's the denial of the clarity of Scripture because it's denying that you can actually get to a solid understanding of anything. I mean, it's amazing that people deny the, the clarity of Scripture when they, I mean, maybe not always, but particularly when people don't want to uh, hear what it says. I mean, so if, if mom tells a kid, go clean your room, well, mom's instruction wasn't entirely clear. I mean, was I supposed to clean my room right away? She didn't really put a time limit on it. So there's a lack of clarity in mom's instruction. Um, let's see. The uh, next one is the sufficiency of Scripture. This is, says that the Bible gives us everything that we need for, again, for life and godliness, so that there's nothing more needed, no information, no um, interpretation, that the Scriptures themselves are sufficient unto salvation. And you'll, you'll notice oftentimes that the denial of the clarity of the Scripture and the denial of the sufficiency of the Scripture will go together. So, you know, when the Catholic Church says that you need the authoritative teaching office in order to understand the Scripture, they're denying both the clarity and the sufficiency. And the, and the last one, we should get this in, the efficacy says that God's Word, in fact, is powerful, that the Holy Spirit uses the Word as a means to deliver faith and the gifts of the Gospel. Okay, so we have inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility, clarity, sufficiency, and efficacy. And uh, I want to maybe just spend a little bit more time on the last two after this break. You are listening to Table Talk Radio. New game after this. This is my
Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, as told by Scripture alone. Stay tuned for more Table Talk Radio. The daily Bible meditation blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com, where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough cares of its own, Jesus says. I'm sure that's what she was thinking when she wrote that <laughs> That's <song>. very theological. <laughs> All right, I got a Bible passage for you, Pastor Wolf Miller. This oh, okay. is uh, 1 Corinthians 2. Oh, what verse was it? I just lost it. <laughs> Here it is, 13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for which it really is the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Now that, I think, hits at least two attributes, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Which are you looking at? <laughs> well, there's inspiration so that the word that was received was not the word of men, but also the word of God. So that's the, the, the word of, uh, that's inspiration, that, that uh, God's word is is breathed out and, and used human authors to speak forth his word, but also you have efficacy, that it performs its work in you who believe. Yep, that's it. So now I have a question about the sufficiency. Is the sufficiency of Scripture sometimes denied when someone says something like, well, God laid it on my heart to do X, Y, and Z, and uh, it would seem if they haven't quoted a Bible passage that led them to that conclusion, then they're uh, at least adding, whether they realize it or not, adding to the Scriptures. Well, I think I would say this, that, that ki- the kind of thing that is looking for extra uh, words from God uh, comes from a denial of the sufficiency of the Scripture. So um, so the, the first, the, the That's sufficiency... That's distinction without a difference. Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, okay, fine. So first the sufficiency <laughs> is denied, and then I'm, I'm set on a path of needing some, something more. So you can go back and say to the person who is praying and fasting for a vision from God or trying to figure out God's will for their life as some sort of individual revelation, that they are denying, maybe not explicitly, but, I mean, really explicitly, they're denying the sufficiency that God's word is not enough that they need something more. Aha, okay. Um, Well, tell us how this game works. I'm really puzzled uh, how the game works that's entitled, What Attributes of the Scripture is This Denying? Uh, yeah. So the idea is we're going to read an email because we got some emails and they just had to do with this formal principle, the authority in the church. And we said, Hey, let's make a game out of it. And that'll be this. We'll listen to what the, the teaching that someone's putting forth or that they heard and they want our compare, they want our criticism of really our take on. And we're going to see if it's denying one of the attributes of the scripture. And this is a good game to play at home with your family around dinner. When someone is talking about something, you can say, hey, what attribute of the Scripture does that deny? I think it's a more fun game to play at dinner when not just your family, but you have guests over. So (laughs) thanks for coming over. We have a game we play. (laughs) That's right. Oh, yes. That's right. Okay, so this email um, comes from Kyle. He says, I have a question in regards to Roman Catholicism. I'm a Lutheran, and I have a buddy who's thinking about jumping ship and joining the Roman Catholic Church. We've discussed certain teachings, but it ends up always coming back to the idea, uh, who has the authority to interpret the Bible? He claims either you believe that Jesus established a visible hierarchical church authority that has the final say, 
on discussing truth from error, or it's up to each individual believer to interpret the scriptures and church history to try and discern which confessions are the most sound. So, to ask a specific question, can we as Lutherans have absolute certainty that our confessions are true, and if not, how do we tell someone they're wrong if we don't have absolute certainty? Thanks, Thanks, Kyle. That's fantastic. Uh, In fact, there's a lot more in this question than I had originally seen scanning over it. Let's play Uh, the game, and then we can dive into the email a little bit deeper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So um, one of the marks of... uh, One of the attacks of the Catholic Church on the Lutherans is this, uh, is that you can't know what the Bible says. You have to have a teacher an authoritative teacher to unfold the teaching of the scriptures. So they, they particularly attack sola scriptura on, on this grounds. Um, they, in fact, I think the chief Catholic um, argument is in my, in, in my own experience and kind of listening to these guys is the attack on sola scriptura. And they'll say, um, and they'll say this, look, you, you and your doctrine of sola scriptura, the result is, um, uh, the the result is that you have all these different churches and nobody has any idea what they believe. And look at the Catholic Church. We don't have Sola Scriptura, but at least we all believe the same sort of thing. Well, first of all, they don't all believe the same thing. I mean, the only doctrine that every Catholic holds in common is that the Pope is in charge. You, I mean, you can find, uh, you, know, you know, most Catholics are basically higher critics when it comes to the Scripture. They believe in the two and three Isaiahs. They believe in the JDEP, all that source criticism of the of the Torah. Um, the, the, you, you know, they uh, they have all sorts of different understandings of the atonement, of the death of Jesus, of the what the sacrifice of the Mass means. In what degree do we? Uh, depend on the intercession of the saints. What's the role of Mary? I mean, there's all sorts of different doctrines of salvation, of sanctification, of the end times. Um, you have Pentecostal Catholics, and you have anti-Pentecostal Catholics. You have Those evangelical who Catholics. For, uh, women in the priesthood. Yeah, yeah. It's, in other words, the variety of theology under Roman Catholicism is probably more profound than the variety of theology under so-called Protestantism. There is just the one uniting thing is we all we all submit to the Pope. Um, and even the role of the Pope is questioned, you know, in, in various different Catholic strains. So so their argument based on look around is just sort of <laughs> foolish. You know, it's a, it's a trick. But still they use it, and, it's a, and, and it goes back to the root, which has always been one of the roots or, or sources of Catholic theology, and that is the denial of the clarity of the Scripture. It's why during the Middle Ages, the Scriptures were not translated from Latin. They were, the Scriptures were never put into the hands of the laity. That's one of the marks of, the, of, of what Luther did by translating it into German, is because the, the Catholic Church held that to have the Scriptures, the bare Scriptures themselves, without the kind of authoritative layer of teaching of the Church, was going to be dangerous to people's salvation. Uh, and so this denial of the clarity of the scripture we see uh, everywhere in um what in uh in catholic apologetics now i was just talking well similar to this i guess um last night in uh in our uh, adult instruction class about the canonization of the new testament scriptures um, now, there's a little bit of a, a, a trick that goes on with the, with the Catholic perspective on this, and this is what it is. So, uh, real quick, 
Um, you know, we 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 think that the 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 whole New Testament was completed by ninety ninety five A.D. or so. You know, there's some some debate on that, but uh, at least by a hundred, we'll say that the, the the scriptures are are completed. And then these books of the of the of the New Testament are passed around amongst the churches uh, for a good hundred years until. These agnostic texts start creeping in. You hear about these, like the the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judah and Mary, and all these things. And uh, these are the Gnostic texts that were being passed off as fakes of uh, writings from the real apostles. And then a question comes up: Okay, how are we going to delineate the, uh, the 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 scriptures that were actually written by the apostles versus the Gnostic texts? And um, and this is what the the Catholic says. The, the the Catholic came along. It was the Church that deemed which books were really the Word of God and which ones weren't. Now that's that's sneaky, because they make it sound as if that here you have a book which has no authority until the the Church comes along and says, thus in thus book is in the canon, and now it has authority. So if they would have stumbled upon, you know, Aesop's fables and deemed it to be a book of the Bible, then it would then have authority because the church said it had authority. But we should say right. that that these books of the Bible are authoritative because they're written by the apostles, whether the church affirmed it or not. So what happened in canonization was that the church was on a fact-finding mission <laughs> to determine what books were already accepted already seen as authoritative, not because the church said they were authoritative, but because they were written by the apostles who were sent by Jesus. So the authority comes from Jesus, not from the church. Chemnitz is great on this, and I would refer the uh, Kyle to emailer and everybody. And you know what? I, I, gotta, I think I'm thinking about taking this up as a project, is outlining Chemnitz's examination of the Council of Trent to have a really detailed outline so people can have access to the to the teaching without having to dig into the text. But he's Chemnitz is great on this in the examination um, where he says that really the, the one of the reasons why the Scripture had to be written down was because there was so much trouble resulting from only having oral tradition. <laughs> and we see that in the epistles, when the apostles are writing to the churches, they're writing because the churches without the Scripture had stumbled into false doctrine. So that the fact of the, of the text themselves of the epistle to, to Corinth or to Romans or to whatever. The very fact that these things had to be written is in and, of, in and of itself that the scriptures stand above the church, not the church standing above the scriptures. So this goofy historical argument that the Catholic apologists have tried to use, that the church decided what books are in, therefore the church has authority over the scripture, which is their kind of basic fundamental point of authority, is denied by the fact of the scriptures themselves where the apostles are exercising authority over the church. You see it? Mm -hmm. and, and then they do this trick, which is in the email, is that they say, well, there has to be an interpreter. So who's it going to be, the church or the individual? And Chemnitz is also great on this point as well. I mean, we say, as Peter does, that no scripture comes about by individual interpretation. So that when we deny the authoritative interpretive office of the, the authoritative teaching office of the pope, we're not saying that there's not a teaching office and we're not saying that each individual stands in authority over the Scripture or to interpret the Scripture. So we have an authority, the, the teaching in the church, but it's all bound underneath the authority, the sole authority uh, of the Scriptures itself. It is the norm that norms all the other norms. All right, so after this break, I'm going to take a swing at which attributes this denies. You're on Tabletop okay. Radio. Okay. 
tuned in at the worst of all possible times. This is Table Talk Radio. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. We're back on Table Talk Radio. We do want to hear from our beloved listener. You can send us an email by sending an email to questions at tabletalkradio.org. We also have a voicemail system that you can call into and leave your message. That number is 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-7652, and love to hear from you. Now, we're in the middle beloved of... Beloved sounds so intense, you know, our beloved listener. Um, our newly acquainted listener. But what, I mean, beloved, I mean, even beloved, the normal pronunciation, beloved, (laughs) sounds pretty intense, but beloved, it's like, it's like we're in some Victorian drama. Listen, the more exclusive the listener is, the more beloved he or she is, okay? (laughs) That's That's right. We have, we have a, we we have an exclusive relationship with our, are you guys in an, are you just seeing each other? Well, basically, that's our only option. (laughs) It's exclusive here. All right, we're playing what uh, attribute of the scripture start writing does po- this deny? Hold on, you you talk for a little bit, and I'm going to write a poem to our beloved <laughs> listener. And we uh, heard an email from our beloved listener from yesteryear, uh, <laughs> Kyle, who submitted... <laughs> He submitted a Roman Catholic argument uh, that he's been getting from a buddy of his, saying that, look, if... Uh, if, if um, you don't have the church, the Roman Catholic Church, and you don't have interpretation of the Bible. So how, how are you going to say that you have the truth from the Bible if not the church to interpret it for you? And we w- ran through the attributes real quickly again there. Inspiration, the inerrancy, infallibility, clarity, sufficiency, and efficacy. I would say that this argument denies two of those attributes. Um, the first one, uh, possibly sufficiency. So that is to say that the scriptures aren't enough, but we have to have the scripture and you know the scripture and the church to 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 understand God's revealed um revelation to us but really i think the primary one i'm not sure if you agree with this but the primary one this denies is the clarity of scripture so again um how do we know uh who has the right interpretation interpretation of scripture well we would go to the uh understanding of language <laughs> so uh, who is understanding the nouns and verbs correctly? Who's understanding? Who, who's applying some of these uh, uh, principles for reading the scripture correctly? I mean, so I hear this all the time. I, I am so sick of this argument that says, um, "Well, two people disagree on a given text, so therefore it's not clear and it can't be understood." Now, I've used this analogy before on on this show, but I'll use it again. Suppose you had uh, two scientists conducting the same scientific experiment and you have you know the little little petri dishes and you have the whatever the little you know you're rubbing the the uh, bacteria in the little petri dish to get the culture and um w- the first scientist uh is very careful has like eyeglasses on uh mouth protection latex gloves and is very particular uh how this uh experiment gets set up and the second scientist is real sloppy not wearing eye protection sneezes during the scientific test um and 
and doesn't even wear gloves. His, he's cleaning off his fingernails over the Petri dish and stuff. And then they both come out with two different results in the scientific experiment. Well, of course, you wouldn't expect the same because they're not using the same process. And there's a good and a bad way to arrive at scientific experimentation or results. And there's a good and bad way to interpret the Bible. And uh, we use certain principles like uh, consider the context or uh, let the uh, unclear passages be understood in light of the clear passages. Read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. These kind of very simple things guide us to the right interpretation. So the clarity of Scripture teaches us that we can understand what God has revealed to us just by engaging in the language and a few you know, reasonable principles we don't need some other authority to tell us what it means. That's right. I think that's what there's a see. There's a trick in this email where the where the person challenging our our beloved listener <laughs> is saying, are, are you absolutely sure that your confessions are true? And they're trying to relocate certainty from the text to the heart of the reader. And that's always going to be a trick because am I going to have absolute certainty in my own self? No. Where is the certainty supposed to be? It's in the text itself. And so someone says, are you absolutely sure that your interpretation is true? I mean, you can say yes if you want to. That's, I mean, it's fine. But say, well, look, who cares if I'm absolutely certain or not? I'm not infallible. The Bible is. Let's just look at what the words say. And and we find our certainty there. I always there's always a trick to move people away from the words themselves. And so people say, well, you, look, you Lutherans are saying that your interpretation is true. This is just an arrogant sort of thing. We'll say it's OK, fine. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But let's just look at what the words say. Jesus says, this is my body given for you. Take drink. This is the blood of the New Testament shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This, do you believe what those words say or do you not? The simplicity, the clarity, the certainty is not in my heart. It's in the words. That's the point. And anyone who's trying to move you off of the certainty of the words is trying to trick you. Now, to a more important matter. Here is the ode. Are you ready? (laughs) Roses are red. Violets are blue. For our beloved listener... Our only choice is you. <laughs> Very nice. I got another email hey, that thanks. we can play this game with real quick in, All let's right. see, the final five minutes of the program. Uh, this is from All Becky right. in Racine, Wisconsin. She writes, Dear Pastors, Wolfmiller and Gigline, I was listening to your bumper sign theology in show number 364 where you seemed a bit unsure about the phrase, touch not God's anointed. Touch God's, touch not God's anointed was a fairly common phrase I heard growing up warning us not to criticize a pastor or use discernment in listening to someone preach. My mother would say this in a uh, hushed tone if I criticized someone's teaching. My parents were evangelical, Baptist-like missionaries, and we kids were surrounded by various other missionary kids from other church backgrounds. So our family was exposed to various other doctrines. Later, I heard biblically the same from my future father-in-law, a pastor, when I questioned how he knew God's will for my life in a specific area. It made me want to Hmm. get up and run far away from him and his theology. I am so grateful that the Lord brought me to a good confessional Lutheran theology through discernment ministries like yours and Pirate Christian Radio and Issues, etc. Ah, Todd Wilkin. Who's even heard of those guys? (laughs) I know. Now, I know the... How happy they would be to be mentioned in a sentence with uh, with Table Talk. (laughs) I'm sure. Uh, (laughs) They've arrived now. (laughs) Now, I know that that phrase is wrongly used to intimidate Christians into not 
being Bereans and comparing what they hear from the pulpit to God's word actually says in context, keep up, keep up the mediocrity. Thank you, Becky. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, she's talking about that phrase discernment ministry, which is, you know, that's a it's a scare tactic, you know, scare quotes. So people, anyone out there kind of criticizing the common teaching with what's going on in the scripture, they're considered a discernment ministry. Who knows if it's that's probably friendly fire there, but it's true. We probably discernment is a spiritual gift. Uh, so we better not use discernment against the scripture. But here's the idea. Touch not God's anointed. That means don't criticize the pastor. Mm-hmm. Um don't, you know that's and and what what's happening here is that you see the kind of same Catholic move happening in the Pentecostal Church, and so that is that just like the Pope, because of enthusiasm, possesses the truth in the shrine of his heart, so now the anointed uh, uh, pastor, and normally they're called a prophet or apostle or whatever, they because they possess the Holy Spirit in such great measure, their teaching, their anointing, is not to be questioned. And this, like the previous uh, question, denies the clarity of the Scripture. But I would also say, even more specifically, it denies the sufficiency of the Scripture. So we had that example of this pastor knew God's will for my life in a specific area. And whenever anything like that happens, it's denying the sufficiency of the Scripture, Uh, which is important that we don't do that. And, And that we say this. Wisdom is what connects the dots between God's words and the specificism of my life. And, 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 and when, we are, um, when we are saying that, no, we want the Lord himself to reveal something that has specifically to do with the specific situation in my specific life, we're, we're, number one, cutting ourselves off from the exercise of godly wisdom, and two, we're expecting something of God that he has not promised. And when we start to expect God to, to give us things that he hasn't promised us to give, we are opening our consciences wide open for the devil and his, and his games. This, this, I think, is the, uh, the beginning of a cult. <laughs> I've been doing some thinking about how you actually define what a cult is. That's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. But um, I think one of You've the— You've tried to start a cult a couple of times and yeah, failed, so you've got to revisit, the, you know, The patrons the of workshop. Club Rogue River haven't caught on, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'm diligent. But I think, I think one the of the— back room where the incense <laughs> and candles are. One of the marks of, of a cult is that it props up a, a person to be the key holder of the revealed truth. You, you, you cannot know the secrets or the truth apart from me. So when the moment someone starts saying, don't question the anointed, and we see that with the vision casting leaders, you know, we've, we've seen examples from the, from the mega churches where people have said, wait a minute, I'm not sure this so-called vision is actually in line with the scripture. They're, they're ushered to the door. You're not welcome in this church right. anymore. That, I mean, so, right. so that uh, you can't have God's word apart from the leader I think that's at least one of the elements of a cult. Just about ten seconds. Right, I Pastor. think you're right. No, you're 100 percent right about that. And we so that the, even the pastors of the church are under the authority of the word. That is the point of the sufficiency. If it's not sufficient, then we ex- end up exalting ourselves. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio, where the points are like all you'll learn about the sufficiency and clarity of the Scripture in the Council of Trent. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. 
Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org. 